Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. I'm your host, Richie. Joining me, as always, is Matt. And today we are finally, finally, finally wrapping up our prospect risers and fallers. We are closing it out with the AL East Blue Jays and the New York Yankees. But first, let's welcome in Matt. Matt, how are you doing? What is going on? Yeah, we have a uh, we have a nice episode for you today. The Blue Jays, man. Um, <laughs> I, you know, we had this conversation months ago when we were breaking down the AL Central, the AL West, all the other divisions. We talked about the White Sox, and we had, you know, joked about how bad that system was, and we kind of just bypassed really how bad the Blue Jays system was. And I think we're starting to see now a trend and change. You know, the trade deadline brought in some names to the White Sox organization. Um, Montgomery has really picked it up after the injury and has a really nice Arizona Fall League with his power. You're seeing that White Sox organization at least has some have some life. And as we went through the Blue Jay system, I just had to like squirm in my seat a little bit at some of these names. You know, even even the nice ones that we're going to talk about today are extremely risky pieces. And, you know, you and I, before we jumped on today, we're talking about the Orioles and kind of projecting them over the next six, seven years and what happens to the organization uh, because of contracts. And I just think back to when this Blue Jays system was bringing up Biggio and Bichette and Guerrero, and you had this youth movement of excitement and how this was supposed to be a, a five to 10 year window. And it is for the most part, you know, they've been successful with that. They've been competitive, but you look at what happened to the minor league system and it just completely fell off after you had that incredible class. And it also reminds me, thinking back to, you know, our hometown Brewers, when the Fielder and the Corey Hart and the Ricky Weeks and the Ryan Bronze came up, there was nothing behind them to supplement the team. And it really affected how the Brewers were competitive over instead of a 10-year period, a five-year period. And I think we'll talk about some names tonight that might be able to be valuable pieces to them, but also have a high level of risk attached to them. Yeah, I definitely think with this Blue Jays organization, there's a lot of high variance uh, polarizing prospects that have potential high ceilings and also have really low floors. But before we jump more in depth into the specific players, you and I have scraped the the surface, I guess, went out into the sea and found ourselves some dynasty leagues to go into. So the one you and I got into together is actually one um, that's being hosted by Jeff Ponce of Baseball America. So that's pretty interesting to be in a dynasty league with somebody else from the industry but you also got into a different dynasty league that is ongoing so you are inheriting a team but not necessarily because there's seven vacancies so there's a dispersal draft is that correct so the seven teams are all split up and all the new seven members are essentially doing a draft do you want to explain how that process is and what your experience has been and kind of what your approach is in that dynasty league that you're drafting currently. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is, you know, us getting to dynasty leagues together um, in a startup is going to be awesome. And it's something that we've talked about for a number of years. And I think we just kind of shit the bed in regards to how to actually go about being a part of this community in a broader sense. And, you know, we've spoken in the past about how, like some tech, some techniques, you know, and I'm saying this for you as the listener is if you're interested in getting deeper, um, I just got, we both got very active on Twitter this year. Uh, wasn't even necessarily the commenting at times. It was more just understanding who is of value in the fantasy baseball community, the dynasty community, who is really active in, 
engaged like we are with enjoying the prospect side of things. And, you know, we've stumbled across a couple of really cool groups and through those groups, we've made more connections. And then like the last thing I think to say about this was, you know, we go back to our roots, which was CBS's Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. And you um, had sent me the link for our Dynasty startup through that. And, you know, there's the very piece of it. The root of what kind of like got us into podcasting was listening to those guys. And now we're in a league together because of their Facebook page. And then the dispersal draft league that I'm in, I was able to uh, join because Chris Clegg retweeted um, an opening, basically post on on Twitter or X, asking for members to join. And I was just luckily quick enough to do it. Um, didn't really know if this was going to be a good league or a bad league. I was just like, screw it. Why not jump in? And it's an unbelievable format. It's 20 teams. They had seven teams leave, so 13 remained, which is a big variance. That's a lot of teams to leave. Um, and the team I acquired or I was assigned to had finished second last year. So they sent out the email, put us in a, uh, a group me uh, messaging app platform, which is also fantastic for 20 people because you don't have a text thread that's completely jumbled with people that don't necessarily know each other. And it's a condensed communication. I love that. I think with 20 people, it's fantastic. Either that or Discord, however you choose to go. And then they sent out a Google Sheet link that had, I want to say like four or five, six pages attached to it, basically breaking down how the dispersal draft was going to go as well as their constitution or their, you know, as we call it in our league, our, our fantasy Bible, with all the rules and the way things are set up. So it's a 20-team Roto League, uh, full dynasty. You keep 30 major leaguers. You keep 30 minor leaguers. Uh, you do have to reset your roster before the first-year player draft to get to that 60 number. And then after the draft, you have to, based off how many picks you have, if you have five picks for five rounds, which is how they have it set up, you then have to release five players to get back to that 60. So all IL players have to hit the market, which gives new teams coming in the ability to hopefully maybe get a starter or you know a, a middling middle infielder to, to help with innings because in this league, they've also set up a formulation that allows for your draft pick end of season not just to be weighted on your standings. It's also how competitive were you? Did you meet your innings for each position um, or your at-bats or your, you know, your games played for each position? And then for your pitchers, did you hit your total innings number, which I think is 1,000 with a cap of 1,400? So they have almost all of their bases covered. And I love that. And the piece I love the most is the uh, dispersal draft. And I was speaking to someone in the league for a number of years, and he had said that when he came in, they weren't doing the dispersal draft unless there were more than two teams. You just got assigned a team if there was someone that left or two people that left. And I was like, yeah, that puts you at a really big disadvantage because, you know, looking at the draft board as you and I have when it started, there were a lot of names out there and there were a lot of different directions you could go because all seven teams players got thrown right back into a draft format. And it also allows current teams, the 13 teams that are not drafting, to trade in and out of the dispersal draft, which allows you know potential value for these new teams if they need those innings or those at-bats. So I went prospect-based right off the bat. Um, I took draft picks, first-year player picks, and that was another thing that I thought was awesome. Any teams that left the league, their draft picks as well entered this draft. As opposed to, again, I finished, my team finished second last year of the player that I'm replacing. My concern was I would be picking 19th in the first-year player draft. I have no value there. That was something that I was really bummed about. To find out that the picks were also available really changed, I think, my overall outlook of, well, I can rebuild this team in maybe two years, and I can be a top 10 team, potentially, if I do things right. 
And other teams went the opposite direction. Other teams went with 30-year-olds and a mix of, you know, a prospect here and there. And they're going to have a window. And I'm really curious for those teams, what the Aaron Judge, the Mike Trout, what those values return them at deadlines when teams are making their final push. You know, that's where I really know if I went right or wrong. If you can flip Aaron Judge for, say, two top 20 prospects in a dynasty league, well, I went the wrong direction. But if Aaron Judge gets you a top 50 and two top 150s, you know, I, I would have gone in the right direction. Um, it's been fantastic, and it's a slow draft. You know, you and I are texting every day about potential moves and who's on the board. Uh, you know, it's not a cap system where, hey, you've got an hour, you've got four hours. It's basically just be respectful to each other on this Google Sheet and try to get it in as fast as possible. Overall, it's been a fantastic experience. Yeah, definitely a lot, and especially for our listeners who are contemplating joining a Dynasty League or starting up a Dynasty League, I think you hit on a lot of points on the foundation of what's really necessary to succeed at uh, completing a Dynasty League. I definitely like the, the dispersal with the, the two or more teams. It gives you that flexibility of, do I want to go win now? Do I want to rebuild kind of like what you're doing? I think, and we've talked off air, is my my approach would have been I would go for the younger major league ready players or who had just got a taste of the majors, maybe didn't necessarily succeed, but they had that high prospect pedigree. Whereas you're going full blown prospects, like give me all the top 100 guys I can get my hands on FYPD picks. So I'm curious to see how your team does in the coming year. So we'll have to, to touch base in future podcasts on how that goes. And absolutely with our dynasty startup league that we are starting our draft on friday we will keep you listeners uh up to date on how our draft goes what strategies we're going with and potentially what you could do if you are in a dynasty league in this off season with that being said i think it's time for us to break down the al east are you ready matt um i know i am i'm very ready i'm very excited for the yankees and uh (laughs) Well, oh, too bad we're Blue starting Jays. with the Blue Jays. Oh, yeah. We'll save the best for last, and we'll go with the Yankees. Um, but, yes, yeah, so let's start with some risers. Um, and the first one is a polarizing player in Orlevis Martinez. And he's a riser because he ended the season blistering hot, but he started the season horribly. I think he was batting under 200, like 150 um, in the lower levels, and he was striking out a ton, and I was like, man, this guy's a bust. He's never going to make it, but he's 21. Um, and yeah, I'm curious if you're interested in him and what your thoughts are on him, Matt. Yeah, he, he's been polarizing for a number of years now. You've seen the power profile, uh, 2023, 125 games, 448 at-bats, 28 home runs, 126 strikeouts. And that's always been the knock on Martinez is, is the whiff. And this season kind of showcased the profile that we've seen over the last couple of years. You know, we've, we saw the flash and power, um, good exit velocities as well. No speed. Baseball America has ranked him out at a 30 hit tool. And I think you see that with the average. You see that with the strikeouts. The 60 power is nice. Uh, 45 field, 60 arms. So he has the ability to at least be a, a, a middling to average defender. I have him slated as a likely outfielder. Uh, I, ju- I just think he's probably going to end up being a right fielder if, if he can't stick on the infield because of that arm. Um, and, and no, I'm not interested, to be completely honest with you. I, I would really like to take a risk on other players. You know, a guy I've been throwing around a lot out there to you and on, on Twitter is, is Sal Stewart for the Reds, younger player. 
Those are the profiles I'm going for nowadays. Martinez is is the opposite. 226 strikeouts and then 67 walks. You know, that's that's ridiculous from my my perspective. Um, I do think there is opportunity to blossom here. I, I think at 21, 22, 23, we can watch him and, and really see if this organization can get him to tap more into his hit tool and, and raise that 30-grade hit. But so far what we've seen is that's not the case. Now, as you said, he did have a really good stretch this season, so maybe he can build off that in 2022 uh, or in 2020, 20, excuse me, 22 age being next year, 2024. But as of right now, I'm, I'm not looking to acquire Martinez. Um, he is a riser, riser, though, because this organization just doesn't have a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, w- I would agree with everything you said there. Let's move on to the next one. And I don't even know if he qualifies for a prospect. Oh, he does. Um, so Davis Schneider, 116 at-bats. Good call, Matt. Um, I think, what is it, 130 for you to lose prospect eligibility. So Davis Schneider, second base, came up this year, started on fire. Um, but at, in AAA at 87 games and 309 at-bats, he had 21 homers, 21 doubles, threw in a little bit of stolen bases with nine, 86 strikeouts to 72 walks, so you like that ratio. Um, so, Matt, I'm curious, do you think Davis Schneider can continue his success at the Major League? I'm assuming that he's going to stay with the Blue Jays. Um, I believe what Merrifield opted out yep. of his contract or the Blue Jays opted out of his contract. Either way, what Merrifield is no longer there. So it looks like the path is open for him to take that second base job. Um, are you a buyer? I, obviously, he's a riser for everything that I just mentioned, but are you buying into Davis Schneider? You got to love that mustache that he's rocking too. Yeah, just the overall baseball profile. Like he, He's definitely a glue guy, I feel like, in organizations. Um, but from a fantasy perspective... I try to put him right around the Zach Geloff category. And Geloff also had a very good 2023. Both showcased power. Both showcased the ability to have, you know, um, plus contact at times and then below contact at other times. And you got to see the sample size of possibly two players that you would project just off the stat line moving forward as top five second baseman. And as we know from their profile, that's just not the history that they have shown in the minor leagues. And I, I think I would rather have uh, Geloff for the A's over Schneider. And I'm kind of putting Jonathan India in the same category-ish because of the lack of power from India. Um, wherever he dis- wherever he's traded this offseason, presuming that may change things, leaving Cincinnati would hurt him as well. But Davis Schneider is definitely a guy I'm willing to draft in redraft leagues towards the end of the draft. If I can't get a second baseman that I'm really happy with, of value in the top 10 rounds. I'm going to be looking for the Galoffs for the Schneider, um, for the Schneiders and, and the Indias later on. I think India will probably go sooner than both of these players, but they're all in the same bag of uh, tricks for me. I did have his stat line here wrong. MLB 116 at bats. He had 275. I had 21 home runs. That would be um, truly remarkable if that had been the case. But uh, nine stolen bases with a 969 OPS. Great. I mean, fantastic stat line. I think he probably plays 120 games in 2024, bounces around that infield. I think long-term, Davis Schneider is probably the number one utility man on whatever team he ends up sticking with long-term. I don't have anything to justify this, but he kind of reminds me of, oh, shit, I was just going to say, but I can't remember, uh, Chris Taylor. 
for the Dodgers. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Like, I mean, that's, I, I, I think that's perfect. You know, like that's Taylor's 120, what I'm 130 games. Like you draft him as a starter. You you lose a game or two a week here and there, right? Uh, maybe there's an injury stint, but he's the guy that fills in for everybody when they're hurt. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's a guy that you're always like, well, I'd like to see him get a full-time playing shot, but the team knows that he's a high-variance player. And um, I, I love the story. I would love for him to be a full-time 150 everyday guy next year if we get to see that, maybe 600 at-bats out of him. I think there's value there. I think he's going to get you 20 home runs. I think he's going to get you probably 20 steals. And, again, from a glue guy perspective, even though we're playing with numbers in fantasy baseball, like, we still play these games in this game because we enjoy watching players that we like. And it's hard not to like Schneider. And that team needs a consistent fill at second base. So I think as long as he has a really good spring and he comes out at least average, I think the job is his to lose. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. We have one more riser. You think of him as a faller. I think of him as, as a riser, but that just shows you where people are viewing him in the industry. And that's Ricky Tiedemann, the number one prospect for the Blue Jays. Dealt with some injuries. Um, I, if I remember correctly, Chris Welsh from CBS or The Athletic um, talked about how he has a different slot angle on his fastball compared to his slider and changeup. So I'm curious if that's going to affect him. But he had decent results for this year he went from rookie ball to low a to double a to triple a um decent stats across the board 368 across all four levels 44 innings 82 strikeouts but did have 23 walks so a little bit high but the strikeout potential is there he's got the makings of he's got the stuff to be an ace it just comes down to does he have the durability and what happens once he reaches reaches the majors and can he stay a starter so i like the the potential for ricky tiedemann i'm curious why you think he's more of a faller is it the injury is it something else what what don't you like on ricky tiedemann yeah for me it's the durability um you know we look back just a year ago and tiedemann had some concerns with durability coming out of the 2022 campaign but you just assumed, okay, he's a young guy. You know, he he ran into some injuries this year. Like, we're still going to value him as a, as you said, a top-tier potential ace. I mean, he's got the frame, 6'4", the body type, 220. The fastball's a 65. The slider's a 60. The changeup's a 70. Control is a concern, as you mentioned, with the walks, only graded out at a 55 by Baseball America. But you see the predominant strikeout numbers, and for fantasy, that's what we like. And you also see over the uh, course of his game logs in his career – he doesn't really get banged around a lot. And that's because guys just don't make contact against him. That slot angle is a really key piece that you mentioned. It's something that is being documented around the industry. And it's something that supposedly he and the Blue Jays organization is not worried about. And I'm very curious to see at a major league level when you have professional pro hitters with experience, how that changes. And if he can still operate the same way in the major leagues, well, you're talking about, again, an ace level player, my concern is that he is probably better suited for three to four innings, maybe five, very similar to what Blake Snell has done over his career. I was just going to say yep. that's who he kind of reminds yep. me of. So and I think he, I think he is. The same thing. I think, I think you're, that's, that's where he's at for me, right? Five innings. Blake Snell with durability concerns. Yep. Well, and Snell had durability concerns too, right? Like we, we yeah, kind of. You don't really, really, you don't really 
worry about his durability. Not anymore. Or at least I don't anymore. Yeah, not anymore. But in the younger years, you did. You had Tommy John. You had other concerns, but you also had a Cy Young season. You had two seasons back to back. Two Cy now. Young seasons. He hasn't won it, but he's going to. Yeah, and um, you've had two stretches where he's won people leagues. So I mean, I think that's the high upside of Tiedemann. I think Tiedemann could even be better than Snell, but there's durability concerns. Um, and I mean, this next name that we're going to talk about is even worse. And it's like, does this Blue Jays organization make some changes? Do they make these guys four-inning starters? Right, That would be a yeah. huge industry shift, but I think it's also the way to pull the most value out of both of these players. That's fair. Now, I know which name you're going to, but he's on our faller. So before you do that, let's jump into some of the players that the Blue Jays did draft, their first, third, and fourth round draft picks. We've got them highlighted as risers. Um, two of them are pitchers who haven't even debuted yet, but they do have a lot of uh, skill sets that we like. And then they have their first round draft pick, Arjun Amala, shortstop taken 20th overall. Didn't do too well in his debut, only batted 200, but then again, it was only nine games, so very, very small sample size. Um, hard to judge, but out of that 200 or 200 batting average in those nine games, 14 walks to eight strikeouts. So I absolutely love the plate discipline there. Um, love to see what he has to do, especially in first year player drafts. If you've got like a 17th round pick or 17th pick in your first round, a cough, cough, Matt, maybe <laughs> Navala is somebody you can look at. Um, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on these guys. Arjun Namala, Jaron Watts-Brown, the third-round pick, 89th overall out of Oklahoma State. Pitcher, and then Landon Maradis, fourth-round fourth draft pick, 121 overall. Wow, I cannot talk today. <laughs> well, it doesn't help that I put these in you know, the most asinine order possible. Um, I like Watts-Brown a lot. This is, this is a thing that I'm going to be trending towards moving forward over the next probably five to 10 years, especially after what we saw this year, which is the college arms that were not taken in the first round. And we're going to get to a lot of those names with the Yankees. And we're going to have a little bit of track history here going, I think, all the way back to the 2019 draft, where you're starting to see some of the names climb in, in, in the pitching ranks that were guys that were afterthoughts in the draft or just taken in the third round as, hey, let's see if we can develop him. And I think Watts Brown coming out of Oklahoma State is is going to be a guy to monitor next year. 91 to 93 fastball, can get it up to 95, 96 when needs to. Wipeout slider really needs to develop a third pitch. That's obviously something of concern. It could see him as a bullpen arm if he cannot. Um, but again, this is one of the college arms that we will be monitoring going into 2024. And then land in the fourth round pick. Uh, Jays went nearly triple slot value to sign him. This is a big time high school arm out of Florida. And they're banking on him to you know, kind of fall in the same ranks as Brandon Barrera and Ricky Tiedelman with a, a high-velocity pitcher. Uh, to go triple over slot in the fourth round means this was a guy that they were targeting. And Namala's pick also was a showcase of that. He signed under under slot value so that they could sign Landon. You know, and I, I, I'm definitely monitoring those over-slot high schoolers. Brewers have a couple of them. They're kind of sprinkled all throughout the industry, especially this past season. Giants got a couple of them. Um, but landing could be an arm that we start to see next year really start to rise some boards. And uh, Namala for me to finish it off, not enough for me in the profile to get excited about yet. But I think next year we could see him enter into that Colt Emerson, 
uh, Ty Pete category where people are really getting excited. And the power potential is what Baseball America is raving about. I think any 18-year-old, it's hard to really you know showcase that there's power potential. But if you're already getting slapped with that as you develop into your body, I think this could be a player that we're really seeing possibly translate into a uh, third baseman as well if he can really fill out. Yeah, I'm trying to remember when I was watching the draft, there was somebody they interviewed. It was one of these shortstops that was so humble and his family was with him and his little daughter, not little daughter, his little sister was with with him and he was just like, without her, it wouldn't be everybody. I want to say it was Arjun Amal and I, uh, I really like. I think it was Soto. Do you Soto. know who I'm talking about? I think it was Soto. Was it for, Charlie uh, Soto? Yeah, I think it was Soto. Yeah, I think you're right too. Anyways, then disregard, but I really like Charlie Soto just because of his composure, but <laughs> we well, are not talking part of about. Me, part of me wants to say... It was possibly the Red Sox uh, first round pick. I'm going to look that, that up. Was as, louder. Was it? Uh, no, Red Sox. Red Sox. Kyle uh, Teal? No, okay. It, it's got to be Soto then. You're right. Kyle okay. Teal. Definitely uh, right. definitely not Kyle Teal. I'll tell you that much. Okay. Before I derail us, let's move on now to the one faller that we have. Uh, and that is Brandon Berea. Um, he was the first round draft pick last year for the Toronto Blue Jays. And he stuck out like a sore thumb to him because when I was watching last year's draft, he had an interesting quote when he got interviewed and he said he was going to be making the 22 teams who drafted him ahead of or didn't draft him make sure that they regret this. Um, well, they're not regretting that <laughs> as of right now. <laughs> Um, he has not lived up to expectations in his first year. Uh, 398, um, I want to say batting average, but it's ERA. Um, but when he went to high A, 442, um, he only pitched 20 and a third innings this year. I believe he dealt with some injuries. But I remember after watching his interview, I dug a little bit deep into him, and this was last year. And nothing in his profile stuck out like, you're going to be an ace. Everything was average or above average, his fastball his slider change up control like nothing great but nothing bad so like i i see him as a number three um at his peak and at his floor i see him as a five or middle relief guy but as a first round draft pick i'm curious what your thoughts are on brandon Breer. yeah i mean i i see a higher uh, ceiling for him i i think he could be um in the Freddie Peralta range as a is a fantastic number three, but not really a number well, Peralta's two. Peralta's a three. Um, I think I think Peralta's a three, uh, and I say that because of consistency. Last year was fantastic; it was great, but we've been waiting for that for four years. So I have to look at the overall record and say, where do you fall within those four years? Let's find the median. Let's kind of put you there. Now Peralta's twenty twenty four season, if he continues on last year, changes this conversation, right? But I think Barrera could have a season like Freddie's 2023. The problem is his curveball is his outpitch. It's not his slider. His curveball ranks out at a th uh, 60. His slider ranks out as a 50. And I think from a tunneling perspective, that's going to be a little difficult for him to really cash in on those strikeouts. And, I mean, fastball 92 to 95, touches 98, 99. You like to see that. He has the ability for put away. But the problem is durability. You know, coming out of the draft, injury to his elbow to start the pro career. That's a concern, big time, especially with elbow. But then you wrap that into his 2023 injury, which was bicep soreness. Now you have compounding injuries on that arm. Now something must be wrong, either mechanically 
or just from a pure um, conditioning perspective because you have two muscles that are essentially connected, the bicep as well as the elbow. So I'm completely out on him. Um, I won't touch him. He's a guy that I think will probably undergo a surgery if he hasn't already. And I, I just think he's probably, as you said, I think he's probably going to be a bullpen arm at the major league level. Yeah, I'm, I'm out until I see it. And by the time I'm ready to buy him, somebody else will already have him. But you know what? I'm okay with that. So I think that wraps up our Blue Jays short and sweet for the most part. So let's move on to drum roll, please. The New York Yankees, something we've been waiting to I was going to try and give you the uh, Christmas vacation. The drum roll. And I, uh, I was like, yeah, but I can't do it. I just, I don't have sound effect ability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it is November, so it's basically Christmas. Anyways, let's move on to the Yankees. And the first player we have to talk about is arguably the best pitcher, I mean, as far as statistics go. Um, and that's Drew Thorpe, pitcher for the New York Yankees. He put up phenomenal numbers for the new york yankees 252 era in 139 and a third innings 182 strikeouts and here's the kicker the thing i love the most 38 walks in 139 and a third innings i mean this guy is commanding everything he only throws like 92 93 but he's painting those corners left and right he's got the secondaries and he can command those as well I don't want to say he reminds me of George Kirby, but his command of where his pitches are going reminds me of George Kirby, where if George Kirby throws a walk in a game, he's pissed off. I kind of get those vibes like I do with George Kirby for Drew Thorpe. Curious what your thoughts are on Drew Thorpe. Are you buying in on, on him and his lack of stuff and why well, i don't I don't even want to say lack of stuff but say average to above average stuff but his just command of everything just makes it play up yeah i mean this is one of the names that we kind of foreshadowed earlier when we were talking about second third fourth round pitchers thorpe second round 61st out of uh 61st overall out of cal poly and didn't really grade out great right away by Baseball America. And I don't necessarily think these grades are accurate anymore. So I'm really curious to see if we can get an updated profile on his pitch rankings. I mean, they gave him a 45 fastball, which I understand from the velocity perspective at 91 to 93. But we saw limited damage on that fastball. So I also would be curious at his spin rates to see the deception that he's possibly bringing. Slider comes in at a 55, change at a 65, so you really like to see that. There's an above-average changeup. The ability to tunnel pitches is something that he's going to be good at. Control at a 60, I think we'd probably put that control at a 65 or a 70 ourselves at this point from what we saw from him this year. What was more incredible for me with Thorpe was his ability not only to dominate early in the season, but coming out of the gates and then being uh, promoted to, I think it was double-A, uh, he had a 148 ERA at double A. I mean, it truly incredible what he was able to do. And that dominance at a higher level with, again, more advanced hitters is showcasing that he's ready probably for a dominant 2024. My hope is that the Yankees don't move him for an asset. I would really like to see this arm in the rotation, even more so than the guy we're going to talk about next, because I think Thorpe has the opportunity to really showcase, as you said, possibly Kirby traits. I liken him more to a Zach Allen. Uh, Zach Allen has that obviously that, that knuckle curve, so there's a little bit difference there than the slider, but changeup control guy. And if you think about Gallon's profile when he was in the Miami organization, 
similar concerns before, as a prospect pedigree was, hey, the velocity is not necessarily there. How is he getting these strikeouts? And when Gallon came up, it was the same thing. It wasn't necessarily a race to the waiver wire to throw down our fab. It was like, well, I'll take a flyer on him. And now here we are. He's a dominant top 10 pitcher, even after the UCL tear that he did not choose to have Tommy John on. Um, I think Drew Thorpe has the opportunity to be a top pitcher in this game, top 20 at his ceiling. And I think absolute floor is probably top 50 is a guy that you have every season and you're happy to have him because of ratios. The strikeouts are the key for me. Will the strikeouts at 182 Ks and 139 and a third innings translate to the major leagues? And Jesus, 0.98 whip. I mean, this guy dominated minor league, minor league baseball. It, it was incredible. Yeah, absolutely phenomenal. Let's move on to the next riser. And this is also a pitcher, and that is Chase Hampton. And if you'd have told me in the first half which one you take, Chase Hampton, Chase Hampton <laughs> or Drew Thorpe, I'd be all over Chase Hampton. You and I had plenty of talks off air where I had the biggest boner for Chase Hampton. He was the only pitcher that I wanted more than Andrew Abbott at the time. He did cool off a little bit once he got promoted. Um, he went from high A to double A, but I'll give you his numbers quick. At high A, he had a 2.68 ERA in 47 innings. He struck out 77 with only 16 walks, and that was with a exactly 1.0 whip. Then he went up to double A. This is where it gets not the greatest, but he's still a riser nonetheless. 4.37 ERA in 11 starts, 59 and two-thirds innings, 68 strikeouts, so still good, 21 walks, still good, but a 1.26 whip. Gets a little bit higher, so he didn't do the greatest when he went to double A. He didn't improve like Drew Thorpe did, but I still like the results, so the second half, I take Drew Thorpe over Chase Hampton, but first half, I'm taking Chase Hampton over Drew Thorpe. Still like him, but you got can't deny what Drew Thorpe has done. But nonetheless, Chase Hampton has put himself on the map now. Well, and this is a this is a conversation I had in different groups this week. It was a conversation you and I briefly had, and it's something I think I'd like us to do over the years to come <clears throat> is create a list of first half and second half risers, and really kind of look back and forecast what performance matters more towards major league impact down the road. You know, the name that catches me is Yankeel Fernandez that you and I talked about, you know, a lot over the year dominated much like Hampton in the first half of the season. You're seeing him fly up rankings. He's they're flying up my rankings. And you know, the Thorpes are kind of just hanging around. They're interesting. We're watching to see what they're going to do because the profile for Thorpe of that 45 grade fastball, that 91 to 93 is like, Hey, you know, the, there's nothing flashy here. He's been successful. When's he going to fall off the hill? And then you look at that second half. You know, Yankeel definitely struggled. Hampton struggled more than we expected. Thorpe rises. You know, do we see Thorpe in 2024 continue dominance? Do we see Hampton or Yankeel figure it out at that level? Because a lot of the times, and we have to discount these players, getting to another level, double A for both Yankeel and Hampton, can be an adjustment period, um, for usually for batters more than uh, pitchers. But I still really like Hampton. I loved Hampton's film. When, he, when I watched his overall mechanical delivery, it seemed very effortless good amount of velocity, the ability to ride the fastball up in the zone on batters, ride it up and in. Control seemed to be above that 50-grade baseball America gave him, but those numbers at AA do concern me a bit. Um, as of right now, I'm, I'm taking Drew Thorpe over Chase Hampton. It's with, without question, but I could see Chase Hampton being a really, really, really good number four in a rotation 
and an okay to good number three. It's just in New York, I don't think he will ever crack the three. I think he's probably the five and Thorpe is the four, if not Thorpe agree. being, you know, possibly the two or three. Um, I don't think either of those will ever get to a two or a three because they'll have high-profile pitchers yep. signed, like yeah. a Gary Cole. Like, they'll be spending them. And that's okay, you know, like they'd be a, a two or a three in any other organization, but for the New York Yankees, I don't think we'll ever see it. Well, I mean, but. let's just think about them right now, right? Like real quick to pivot here, like you have Garrett Cole locked into number one. Let's just go and say Yamamoto is a foregone conclusion to sign there, number two. You have Carlos Rodon for four more years. You don't really have a choice but to make him your number three, and you need that lefty switch up between the first two righties. Then you come let's in. Assume, let's assume Montas and um, Severino are gone. Are gone. For yes. the sake of this exercise. Yes. So you have Nestor Cortez and uh, Brito kind of fighting, you know, on and off for that four five, which Brito showcased some really nice, some really nice talent. Right. Um, and we, we saw Nestor Cortez have a great 2022. So I definitely see them four five. I, I don't know that we see them this year. I think if we see anyone this year, it'll probably be Thorpe. I think Thorpe will force his way onto this rotation. And we have some names that follow that could even leapfrog these guys because of age um and per pedigree from that age that i think could be guys that fill in until thorpe and hampton are ready yeah well let's let's keep it going because we've got a lot of risers here for the new york yankees so i jokingly put in our notes that he's a faller now but the next riser we have is jason dominguez he started the year off very slow he made his way from your team in our long-term keeper league to my team and then on neither of our team and naturally <laughs> he broke when out he left our team he broke out and made his ascension all the way oh. to the major leagues up until the point where he had tommy john so that's why i jokingly put that he's a faller i don't think we see him until mid-season next year and usually when you get tommy john it takes an additional year for those players to find their power stroke back um but nonetheless, in 31 at-bats in the majors, he batted 258 with four home runs. And 456 at-bats in the minors, collectively batted 265 with 15 homers and 40 steals. So, like we said, you know, he started out slow, then finished hot. So that 265 is not indicative of the true story of what's going on. So I would say it's more like... 150 to 200 in the beginning and then 300 to 350 at the tail end is probably more of what you're looking at but yeah he's he's a riser all collectively all said together reached the majors before everybody thought i i wasn't expecting him to reach the majors until next year at the earliest and i was realistically thinking 2025 and he shattered all those expectations out of the water now i need to remember correctly but i am pretty sure glaber torres also tore his ucl on that slide into home plate when he was with the cubs and changed the prospect pedigree quite a bit of torres and in, i think into his professional career so i'm gonna have to fact check myself on that look into it um kind of we'll touch back back on that probably preseason rankings when we talk about dominguez again um i mean he showed everything that i wanted to at the major league level the ability to really leverage right field in Yankee Stadium for his power. He had a couple nice home runs out of the four home runs and 31 at-bats he had, but for the most part, it wasn't prodigious power. It was, I can hit it far enough in this stadium to be a productive home run hitter. 
And that was the big profile for a guy that's 5'9 for me is can he use his home field and use it to an advantage? Being a, a switch hitter, having power from the left side, using that wall, and he did that. So I am absolutely back in on Dominguez, but I will be honest, I don't think Dominguez hits the superstar status that we expect him to. I think Dominguez is probably a top 50 outfielder. That's an awesome third outfielder on your team. And if he's a, if he's your second outfielder, you're okay with him. Um, but I'm not looking at Dominguez to ever hit him his way into a top 10 outfield position for me, maybe even a top 20. That's just the profile I saw from him this season. A very short sample size. Um, also hot and cold. He has never really performed well April, May, and June. If you look at his track record, it's a very small sample size because he's only 20. It's always been a second half hitter for Dominguez, and that concerns me as well. Yeah, I guess only time will tell, and we'll give him a few more seasons before the book is closed on him. But let's move to another hitter, and that is Austin Wells. 2020 first round draft pick. Um, I believe was taken 28th overall. He ascended all the way from low A to double A to triple A to even making it to the majors. Um, he had 19 games for the New York Yankees. Didn't do much. He batted 229. I think he was mostly there for defense. Hit four home runs in those 19 games, so did show a little bit of power. Strikeout rate is not what you like to see. 14 strikeouts to three walks, but nonetheless, he is a riser for the New York Yankees. Yankees, when you can rise from single A all the way to MLB, it's worth noting and worth talking about. So curious what you have and what your thoughts are on Austin Wells, Matt. Yeah, you know, you give up on Gary Sanchez to uh, get the poor man's version of him. And uh, that's and I, a cheaper version. Cheaper version. And I get that. Uh, defensive concerns like Gary had. So that fouls in tune, has the power profile, 28th out of Arizona, as you had mentioned in 2020. Power comes in at a 55. I think I'm going to ratchet that up to 65 from what we're seeing now, uh, especially from the catching position. Like It's not prodigious, but that is his calling card is the power. Uh, low average in the minors, you know, 371 at-bats, 240. That kind of concerns me. Uh, but they, they need a catcher, and they haven't been an organization that goes out and signs a catcher since I can remember maybe Yvonne Rodriguez uh, for the one season that he was in New York, if I'm remembering correctly. So they've, you know, in history, tended to develop their own guys. And I think Wells will be interesting to see how he fits into that, uh, that's, that starting role or that backup role in 2024. I'm not in on Wells just because there's a plethora of catching a talent and especially young catching talent right now. Two catcher leagues, I think I would be... Like Basalo, right? Well, I mean, Basalo, Moreno, you know, Ruiz in Washington. I I still don't think we've given him enough time to to really see what he can do. You finally saw Danny Jansen break out, who is, I guess, no longer young, but still in these ranks. Um, Austin Wells, for me, I guess, would be a a second catcher, um, especially if you're in two catcher 15, 20 dynasty leagues. Like, he's a name that might be able to help your power production. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the next one, and this is a DSL guy, and that is Roderick Arias. There's a lot of talk through the industry that the ceiling is through the roof. Literally, um, he didn't do the greatest. He had, I'm trying to pull it up here, but like a 260 average, I want to say this year, 267 batting average in only 27 games, so not much of a sample size. Did improve from last year when he batted 194, but he does get phenomenal grades. Um, 
we have here listed that he's got 50 hit, 60 power, 55 speed, 50 field. So he's got all the five tools that you look for and the defense. So I'm curious. Um, I'm not, I mean, I like Arias, but I'm not as high on him as the rest of the people in the industry. Are you as high on him? I mean, I'm kind of getting a little bit of Sebastian Walcott fatigue with Arias here. But um, then again, it's so limited here. It's limited, and um, just just a quick correction: he was in he was stateside, so he was at the uh, Florida minor league rookie assignments, mm, which for me call. which for me is important um, because I, I think as we continue to look at some of these DSL and, and FCL guys, we are seeing that the FCL is a little more competitive than the DSL. You can track a little bit better, and more importantly, they are finally stateside, so they're starting to really accustom to American life. Like this is going to be where they're at for the next 20 years if they can become professional athletes at a high level. And I think that acclimation is really important to get them, you know, adjusted well. Arias, I mean, he turned 19 in September. So you really look at this season is his age 18 season. It was better than his uh, previous season in 2022 when he was in the DSL, where he had 46 strikeouts over the course of 108 at-bats in 31 games. And Nothing really jumps off the uh, the page to me except his walks to strikeouts. He did strike out a lot in only 27 games and 101 at-bats. He struck out 29 times, but he had, sorry, I'm looking, 27 walks. So almost equal. And that is important. You know, with the younger profiles that we're following from the Jeffrey Rosas to the Hidalgos, you know, Rosa particularly is striking out outrageously more than he's walking. Home runs were there, but it's like, hey, you, the strikeouts, are, they're already a problem at, a, at an early level, low competition. But for Arias, you know, at least we can see that there's a balance there. So I think he's definitely a guy to monitor. I passed on him in the dispersal draft. I chose not to take him just because he didn't have any. He's not a Walcott, right? Is he still available? No, he's, he's gone. He's gone. Um, I, I do like him. I think, I think he could be a guy that pops, but I also think he could just be a Glaber Torres. That's fair. All right, let's move on to some more pitchers. And the next two that we have for you, I think, are going to beat Drew Thorpe and Chase Hampton to yep. the major leagues if they continue on their trajectory. And the first one we got for you is Will Warren. He was a, let's see, here's an eighth-round draft pick out of 2021. Gets average to above-average grades on everything, 55 fastball, 50 curve, 60 slider, change 50, a little bit lower on the control, but had a great season nonetheless, going from double-A AA to triple-A, collectively a 3-3-5 ERA in 129 innings with 149 strikeouts, so only 59 walks, so love to see that. 1-3 whip is a little bit on the higher end that you'd like to see a little bit lower, especially at the lower leagues, but Nonetheless, he still had a fantastic season. Um, curious if you have anything else you want to add to, to Will Warren before we get to the next guy. Yeah, Profile had him listed on Baseball America as a ground ball pitcher. I think that might be why the whip is so high. I didn't dive deep enough to see if his hits were kind of egregious. Um, anytime you hear ground ball pitcher with the change in shift rules, you know you kind of hope they're like a Valdez for Houston where they can uptick the strikeouts to really – get themselves out of trouble at times. Um, I have Will Warren back into the rotation starter, high-end leverage reliever. I think Warren probably ends up being that at the major league level, a guy that goes from team to team throughout a 15-year career that you know can get out um, or is possibly a guy that gets shipped to the Oakland A's for nothing and they use him with a five ERA for four seasons. 
I do think, though, there is value in Warren if he's in the Yankees organization because we've seen them really be able to leverage those spot starts from some of the younger pitchers pretty effectively over the last number of years. But the truth is, as we've just talked about, all he is doing is warming the seat for either Hampton or Thorpe to come in. And I do think uh, the name that we have next is is a similar profile, but in, in the same vein. Yeah, and let's just talk about the next person, and that's Clayton Beater, um, 25. He also went from AA to AAA, but looking at his walk rate and his whip, I see him more so being in a middle leaf. Middle, wow, I really can't talk today. Middle relief role to long relief role, but overall, between AA and AAA, a 3.62 ERA. It was 2.08 at AA, and then 4.94 when he went to AAA. Um, Overall, altogether, 131 and two-thirds innings, 165 strikeouts to 75 walks. So not the worst. Collectively, whip 1375. And then when it was at AAA, it was a 1.48. So that's really on the high end. You don't want anything really higher than a 1.1, 1.2 is where I feel comfortable. So getting close to that 1.5, that's that's uh, that's getting into some risky business there. You're... Uh, you're running the risk of, yeah, going into the bullpen there. But either way, still a great season for Clayton Beater. And when you're comparing yourselves to the other guys, you're just happy to be a part of the risers. Well, and Beater's a really interesting name because he was uh, acquired in the Joey Gallo trade from the Yankees to the Dodgers in 2022, I want to say. And the Yankees ended up giving up a number of prospects that at the time we had liked for Gallo from Texas, that was Josh Smith, shortstop, second baseman, uh, Ezekiel Duran, who has bounced around and onto many teams in our fantasy league as a useful starting piece when you have an injury. Um, Trevor Hauver, second base outfielder, also a prospect that we thought would be at least up and doing something now. And then Glenn Otto. Honestly, I'm trading all four of those guys for Clayton Beater. I think Beater has the potential to stick as a five in a rotation you talked about some of the concerns you had <clears throat> with whip and hits and walks. I really liked Beater's profile at AA with a 204 batting average against, and then at AAA, a 227 batting average against. If he can manage those walks, if he can really bring those down, I mean, 75 walks over the course of an entire season is a lot. Talking about that, talking about a guy that could be a really solid five with that strikeout implication. I don't know that bullpen's in his future because of the walks. If he can't get the walks under control, that's the last thing you want out of a, out of a bullpen as a guy potentially putting more runners on. I think Beater's probably a guy that sticks as a five in the Yankees or gets moved because he was already moved. He was, like I said, traded from the Dodgers. But last thing to mention is they are really feeding this Texas Tech pipeline. Beater uh, drafted 2020, 66 overall out of Texas Tech, now in the Yankees organization, and Chase Hampton, Texas Tech 2022 draft pick, sixth round. You know, again, back to some of these second, third, fourth, fifth, and now as we talked about, sixth round for Hampton. A lot of names starting to pop up on these lists of the college arms. Uh, only difference is Warren and Beater are both older than Hampton, obviously. Yeah, I, I mostly say that he's destined for a bullpen role just because we're assuming they get Moto. Where they obviously have Garrett Cole, they're going to bring in some other guys, and I think the three names we listed before Hampton, Thorpe, and Warren all have higher ceilings than what Peter has to offer, and so that's why I think he's going to end up there. Yeah, it's hard for both but, of these. If if you're if you're round forty two, got both on the board, you need you need one of them to fill 
your a minor league slot. I mean, the profiles are very similar. You know, who are you taking? Are you taking Warren? Or are you taking Beater? Warren. Okay. I think I think I am too. Um, I'd be okay with Beater. You know, I, I don't think there's a drastic yeah, I difference mean, I'm to not me. I can be upset about it. But... Uh, yeah, I would rather have Warren as well. All right. Now we've gone through plenty of risers. Let's move to a couple fallers. Um, and the one that sticks out for me is somebody who I was watching coming into the season. I had very high hopes for. I was kind of hoping that this pitcher would have the ascension that Chase Hampton or Drew Thorpe had, and he did not. And that is Justin Lang. He did move from low A to high A, but collectively a 4.75 ERA, 85 and a third innings. I do like his strikeouts at 131, but that walk rate was very high at 63 in those 85 innings. He has the pedigree too. He was a 2020 comp round pick um, out of for San Diego, 34th overall. I can't remember what that trade was. I'm on it. Are you already looking at yeah, it? Looking but at it. Um, I love the grades he gets on his fastball and his cutter, 60, 55. His control's a little bit lower, and I was hoping he'd develop his secondaries with the slider and changeup. Um, he really popped on the map for me because he was able to hit those triple digits. And you guys know, if you've listened to this podcast, if you can hit triple digits, you're going to be on Richie's love list. Um, and so he made it there, but he he hasn't... <laughs> He hasn't brought it all together, and so that gives me that bullpen risk of somebody like we've talked about, Mason Miller, uh, somebody we forgot to mention actually for the Blue Jays, and that was, uh, let's see, I'm going to butcher his name, Yoslev Zulata. Um, he also throws 100, 101, um, and he he's already in a relief role down in AAA, and he didn't make the majors yet. We should probably should have talked about him as a faller. Now I'm just creating fluffer for you to figure out what the trade is. So what do you got, Matt? Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy, and I think this is just another reference point for some of these players that fall outside of the first round. They, you know, during trade deadlines, during moves, you kind of, at least for me personally, I overlook them. Uh, Justin Lang, as you said, 34th overall, had the pedigree, and he was a high school arm, and he got moved for Luke Voigt straight up. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> and and now context, right? Like Luke Voigt coming out of that 2020 season, having the most home runs in the AL, possibly the major leagues. I don't I don't remember correctly, but he did definitely lead the AL. Was really showcasing the ability to be a starting first baseman and a value into an organization. So, you know, depending on when this trade happened, I, I could understand giving up the 34th overall pick, but I would also tend to argue that maybe the Padres knew that what they had drafted wasn't actually the return they had wanted. So get him out of the organization, acquire a first baseman that you, you know, you desperately need. Didn't work out, obviously, but Lang right now is looking similar profile to the Kyle Mueller's where it's like you really see those strikeouts, but even the minors, the ERA isn't isn't where you really want it. Um, I'm just thinking maybe closer. What, what, is, what is your thought? Yeah, um, that's exactly what I was talking about when I was kind of filling the void when you're looking up that trade as I, I see him p potentially being a high leverage reliever, yeah. kind of like Zulata for the, the Blue Jays. And listen, um, 34th overall, which is fine. It, for a high leverage reliever in today's game, hell, That's take it. That's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. For fantasy, not really great for us, but for a major league organization, they'll take that and they'll love love that. Well, and the Yankees, they, they need a lockdown closer. I mean, presumably they're not going to sign They've got plenty of Josh starters Hader, that we just know? mentioned. 
All right, well, let's move to the last faller that I have, and that is going to be Trey Sweeney, the first-round draft pick for the 2021 Yankees. He was taken 20th overall. I didn't like him even when he was drafted in the first overall. I thought he was just a guy, you know, one of those standard I, – I can't. who's the guy – that got drafted this year, and we were just like, yep, yeah, we don't like him. There's uh, somebody every stop first. stop out of, I want to say, New Jersey. Um, he's on my rankings list, but I can't think of it right now. Um, yeah, the athletics take, took him, right? That guy? Oh, you're speaking or, on uh, Wilson's son. Jacob Wilson. Yeah. Yep. Or um, who's the guy from the Pirates a couple years ago? Anyways, Trey Sweeney, a guy... He bet a 252 this year at double A. Didn't move up, didn't move down, 100 games. Um, he did hit 13 home runs, so nothing crazy. 20 stolen bases, okay, decent. 90 strikeouts to 65 walks. So the ratio is not terrible, but it's nothing great. For a first round draft pick when you're 23, I feel like you should be moved on to triple A by now. Um, I'm just not seeing any batting average. He hasn't batted over 261 in his three professional years. So I'm not seeing anything more than an average player here. And when you're taken in the first round, that's not living up to the standards. And uh, this is really for me. This is really interesting. I don't know if you saw this Cashman's um, kind of frustration in the last couple of days that have been leaked out and reported on his uh, his issue with a media member. And him kind of uh, rebuttaling with the fact that the Yankees have the smallest analytical department in the AL East. I didn't really think anything of it until this conversation we're having now because I pulled up their first round draft picks. And I will tell you, <clears throat> it is pretty horrendous. Um, best one on this list is 2020, excuse me, 2013 first round pick, pick 32, Aaron Judge. Home run, Hall of Famer, knocked it out of the park. Second best name on this list is Anthony Volpe in 2019, who I think had a very nice season, just won a gold glove, went 2020. Average wasn't there. A lot of things to concern yourself with, but he's very young. I, th I think that's another hit. You have Trey Sweeney in 2021, who you just talked about. Austin Wells, who we talked about in 2020. Spencer um, Jones. Spencer Jones, 2022. So, you know, Still a guy that we also talked about for this is kind of a, a, in the middle. Um, TJ Sikkim. Uh, University of Missouri 2019, left-handed pitcher. Haven't even crossed paths with him in our in our research. Clark Schmidt 2017, Blake Rutherford outfield 2016. Uh, Kyle Holder 2015, no idea. Uh, James Caprillion traded to the A's. Ian Clarkin. Um, I mean, this is bad. This is really bad. And yeah. I'm, I'm bringing this up because to your point of like Sweeney should have been pushed along the progression scale and hasn't. They're not drafting good players from what I'm seeing. They're developing the pitchers, and they developed Vol Volpe, and they developed uh, Judge. So I would just have to imagine that they're missing on these picks, and if they're missing on picks, Trace Sweeney has to be assumed he's going to be a miss as well. Yeah, I mean, how many first-round picks can you, you really sacrifice? But you're the Yankees. You got the fan base. You got the market, so... You can just go and get the free agents and salvage your analytics, but they could be a dynasty. They could have won five World Series in the last 10, 15 years if they would just get these draft picks correct, and that'd be scary to see if they they hit on some of these these other guys who actually popped um, that were taken behind. I'd be curious to see um, 
who's all out there. I can't think of anybody off the top of my head. I have to pull up like uh, the draft draft boards. But um, uh, the kid for the see. so the lefty Secura that I just talked about was traded for Ben Attendee, so he's out of the organization. Wells, we talked about Sweeney, we just talked about Spencer Jones. You know, the the frame at six seven is something to be excited about. There's power there, but thirty percent strikeout rate ish over his minor league career is the concern um and then the the young shortstop that they took this year which you know that's going to take a number of years for us to even make a um an analytical decision on in reality all right 2021 trey sweeney drafted 20th overall taken right behind him jordan wicks to the chicago cubs who made his major league debut and did pretty decent at 22, Colson Montgomery, arguably AFL um, MVP um, so far. Then after that, 23rd overall, Gavin Williams of the Indians made his debut this year, did pretty well. 24, Ryan Kusek to the Braves, a bust. Max Muncy next at 25 to the Oakland Athletics, doing decent. 26, Chase Petty to the Minnesota Twins, now for the Cincinnati Reds. So he's done okay pretty good um he's still his trajectory is still up 27 jackson merrill he's a riser carson williams for the Rays. he's a riser maddox bruins at 29 to the dodgers so i mean seven out of those nine players taken after him look like they would have been better picks over trey sweeney which is kind of kind of crazy it is and again it just kind of goes back to maybe their analytics department is it is a problem you know if your gm is really coming out and questioning some of the things that your organization is doing and you're in charge of i would have to imagine he has gone to ownership and asked for more of an investment and it obviously has not been given to him and you know there's going to be frustration from that especially when we just look back on their draft picks and it's like there's not a whole lot to get excited about there um so george lambert was this year's first round pick 126 overall out of Florida, 18 years old. He had old. a good season. 45 at-bats, 311 average, four stolen bases, no power. Yeah, I mean, 45 at-bats. Um, it seems like they just said, screw this college approach. We're going we're going back to the youngsters, and um, I, I can't fault them for that. But, yeah, I mean, it is just as it is. It's great that they have the system as full as they do. They have a lot of pieces that they can move. They can move Beater. They can move Warren. You know, they can move Hampton. I don't think they move Thorpe. I just I just don't. Um, you know, they have Arias who could possibly come in and play infield for them if they don't trade him. This is a very good organization for everything we just talked about because they've hit on the second, third, fourth, fifth round guys. They've hit on their international signings with Dominguez and possibly Arias. Uh, they've been able to kind of navigate this complete dumpster fire that's been a first round. Most teams cannot have this same success in the later rounds like they've done. Yeah, they're going to have to improve somewhere, but they'll figure it out. They're the Yankees. I have faith in them. But that covers the New York Yankees. We finally got through them. We finally got to it, Matt. Was it everything that you expected? Um, you know, it's going to be a long off season. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I do have a uh, bit of an update, though. We have um, now you're going to have to help me with this because you, you, he's been your guy all season. Is it a Belmick Ortiz? I, I've been saying that Abby Malik. Abby, okay, so we're going to go with Abby Malik on the show. Uh, a nice second and third home run of the Arizona Fall League tonight. So, you know, I just traded for him in that uh, dispersal dynasty league that we talked about. Nice to see the power coming through. 
Um, you know, we're, I can't wait to get to some of these other organizations like the Rangers. You know, we're going to talk about Wyatt Langford a little bit more in depth, um, you know, as we continue to go through other divisions for our end of season recap. There are some names that I think we did not speak on enough through the season because they were second half risers. And, I, and for me, Ortiz was all year round, but the buzz continued into the second half. Yeah. Um, well, uh, we'll be creative with our agendas or rundowns for the off season here. I think I've got a feeling our next uh, podcast is going to touch on what's been going on with your dynasty draft and how our combined startup dynasty draft is going and our early analysis. Maybe we'll touch on the AFL a little bit more in depth there, but we'll have more to follow um, for our next episode. Until then, we will talk to you guys later.